Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. Um, You're stuck with me, Chris Legg, again as the moderator, our regular moderator, uh, Colson Lechner, is out with the uh, the dreaded COVID. He's, he seems to be fine, but uh, uh, I'm sure he'll, he can catch you up when he gets back here. And so uh, Chris Sherrod and I are here in the studio, and we're going to be continuing our conversation on, on the reasons we do believe. Yep. And so what, what has been built up in our lives, in our minds, in our heart, in our beliefs, uh, convictions that <clears throat> that make it, and I think this is an important distinction. And Chris, I know you and I are have talked about this kind of on the same page, but this this isn't a matter of necessarily trying to to make some claim that unbelievers are irrational mm-hmm. or crazy or whatever. I, I feel like that's not it's not necessary for us to close all loops, and and that's a I don't I, I don't know if we have talked about this, but that's part of the psychologist in me wrestles with the concept of certainty, which to me is a psychological state more, more than anything. We talked about this under belief a little bit and under faith a little bit, that there's, there's always a small chance that I'm you know, strapped down in a bed in a mental hospital and I'm imagining all of this. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's a very much chance of that. I think that's, that's, that's pretty minimal. Um, I think the room would probably be less cluttered if, it was, if I was making this room up. But, uh, and I would look more like... Keanu Reeves, if I was in the Matrix, uh, and less like me. Wasn't that in X Files where Mulder was everything that was going on was actually just something I think that was so. going on? Like they had him. You think it's really going on, and then they show you this room where he's laying there, and he's all yeah. I up. think if not, it should have been. I'm that, sure it was. I, we used to love the X Files. Um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, I think all those different theories that people throw out at the very basic fundamental level, um, you know, whether we are the we are just the imaginings of a of another creature, or you know, we're just butterflies. Um, butterflies dreaming. That's exactly right. Or we're we're in a computer program, right. and that's all we are. Um, and that'd be a fun conversation for another day. That one, because uh, I I have some thoughts on that. But but beyond some extraordinary like that, my my goal is just to show that I think the more reasonable option mm-hmm. is to accept a, a divine creator. Um, and I think we live our lives that way because is it possible that when I walk out my front door, a meteorite is going to hit me? Sure. It's I mean, possible. Technically, yeah. Yeah. Is it po- like there's so many things you could say. Is it possible that I'm actually going to be poisoned by the cook in the restaurant who has a reason to kill? Like, right. Of course. Like, there's all these. Is it possible? But we don't live. We don't live our lives that way with certainty. Right. Like, that. Are you 100 percent certain you're not going to get in a car accident today or this? Plane is going to crash. Like we just, we don't live our lives with certainty. Right. That actually, in fact, uh, to comment on that, uh, in addition to that, and again, I don't, I don't remember if you and I have talked about this years ago, and I think it was Andy Stanley, but I really can't remember for sure. And that commented on you need to know yourself well enough to know how certain you get of things. Mm-hmm. That that's a psychological state, and and that depending on who you are, how much anxiety you have, how much whatever you have, you are more or less sure of anything. And so as a, someone who scores really high on, as on the perceiver on the Myers Briggs, I'm never that sure of anything. And, and so, um, I, I will freak out all the J's out there in the world by saying, I told somebody the other day that if I, like, if, if, if we decide we go on vacation and we do, we've got everything in order. We have not decided where we're going until we get there. In my mind, it's, (laughs) If, if, the, if a better opportunity comes up this morning, then we'll go do that. Okay. And n- my wife is not wired that way at all. I was going to ask how she <laughs> handles all. <laughs> no, um, uh, it's it's a we've we have figured it out, and it's it it runs smoothly and beautifully most of the time, except when it doesn't. And um, but man, that's my so I, I'm listening to that podcast or the speech probably was back long enough to be a speech, not a podcast. It was, I was like eighty five percent. Like, I, I don't know that I ever get more than 85% sure of anything. Yeah. And his instruction to leaders was, then when you get there, don't wait to make a decision. You're not ever going to get more sure. 
You're never, you can get less sure, but you'll never get more sure. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny. I tell people for me, 85% certainty is a hundred percent of what I'm capable of getting. So when you say, are you hundred percent sure? I'm like, well, I'm 85% sure, which is a hundred percent for me. And so I, I, that's, that's as far as I get. Um, I think something like that. Um, and when I do the math, statistically in my own brain and emotionally, we'll get there in the next podcast. Um, I'm, uh, I'm convinced of these things and it's, it's, I've gone far enough along that I think this is, this is rational and, and more rational than my other options. So that's part of how my brain works. It reminds me of, so Pascal's wager, I don't, I don't use it as an Mm -hmm. argument for God's existence, but I use it as, which I'll share it in a second. Yeah. I use it as a reminder of why this is such a big deal. Like mm. it bothers me sometimes when you, you run into people who don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a God. And it's like, you you need to think through what that means. Like right. if you're wrong, so Pascal's wager is you're we're all placing our bets somewhere. <clears throat> it's like the old TV show, You Bet Your Life. Right. With, uh, Groucho Marx, I think. But his his point is if you if you bet on God and you're wrong, you really don't lose anything because you just cease to exist and don't know any different. Um, but if you bet on God and you're right, then you win everything. Like right. you were right. And you, and you, but if you, bet a, if you bet against God and you're right, again, you, you don't lose anything because you just cease to exist. But you, if you bet against God and you're wrong, right. you lose everything. Um, yes, I should say. So... I just think of that as a, a motivator. I don't think it's a great argument as far as C. Right. Just try it because <laughs> right, it's right. like I'm just going to, it's like my get out of hell free card or right. fire insurance. But I think it's a good reminder of what's really at stake that it's not something like, well, I'll know when I die. Like, you know what I mean? You should think it. Right. Take it more seriously. When, when we did this survey one time with this homeschool group, we had been doing a week-long apologetic stuff and we did a survey, one of the questions, and they were, it was a legitimate survey, was what do you think is the best explanation for the universe coming into existence from nothing? And the number of college students who were just like, I, I don't know, I hadn't really thought about that, right. is alarming, I think, because I'm going, how are you not thinking? Like, that's a really big what if. or Yeah, that seems important, doesn't it? Right, it's yeah. really important. So we're constructing now. I think, I think that's a, it's interesting. I heard today, actually, I think I was listening to a podcast that talked about the distinction. And so I think it would apply to Pascal's wager. What we don't love about Pascal's wager is, is it's not something you, you would not say that about something else. You wouldn't say, Hey, you know what? This, this woman could be a great wife for you. So try it. it. Right. And if you're right, you'll get this huge payoff. And if you're wrong, it doesn't, it's not like it costs you all that much. You can just get out of it or or what? And so the whole the thing falls down as a motivator. Right. Now, still though thinking, okay, the truth is since I'm here in this in this life of faith to think, okay, if I'm wrong, I'm probably never going to know. Because mm. if I'm if I'm wrong, that probably means nobody is right. I think that's the, I think the second most rational option is that there is no god, there is no nothing that we are we are merely biological mm-hmm. meat bags and <clears throat> and that's it. And I, I give it a low percentage. I think it's a low percentage, but it's a, um, it's a possible answer. Yeah. And in which case, when I die and my biochemicals stop waving, I, I'll not know it. Yeah. And I'll, I will never know I was wrong. It will never matter to me that I was wrong. I'll just no longer be, be a thing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and that, that is a reminder. That is sometimes a little bit of encouragement to me that like, well, if the second, what seems like by far the second most likely answer is right, um, I'll never know. Mm-hmm. And so that between those two, I'm now as close to 100 percent as I get. Actually, right. so um, I'm still laughing at your <laughs> meat you bag, biological meat bag. Never <laughs> You've never that. heard that term? No, no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all we are is a you know flesh bags or something. I don't remember the exact number. Right. The exact anyway. Okay, so so my second. The, my, you know, that we talked about it, my first answer um, had to do with, uh, which you actually went first oh, yeah. last time, and you were talking about the cosmological, cosmological. conversation, the, the source of all things. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there was a very good podcast, by the way, defending that against some uh, a, a well-known atheist this week on Reasonable Faith, the oh. Reasonable Faith podcast. Um, the Kalam cosmological argument comes under attack constantly, and an atheist this week said, published this in the last couple of weeks saying, it's dead, I've defeated it, it's over. Mm. Um, and, of course, I mean, he, he didn't. So it's, but it's, right. it, he made some great points and Dr. Craig engages with the points. It's like, he has some great points. The problem is he still has, he has no answers. I mean, he's po- he's tried to poke some holes in this argument, but he's not offered anything in its place at all. So even, even if he was right, all he's done is say, I've poked holes in this argument next. Like I've, I still have nothing. Yeah. Um, and so he said, and, and just like you said a minute ago, Dr. Craig is saying, these, these are some important questions. Like what is the source of all things? And so if you're, if you're going to say it isn't a divine creator, then, you know, I'd love to hear your answer. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, it'd be good if it's not a faith-based answer like something. I don't, I don't know what, but something. The metaverse. Yeah. Like, um, which was one of this guy's answers, by the way. And Dr. Craig was like, okay, so then where's, where does the metaverse come from? Like, right. it, you don't it solve it. Exactly. Yeah. Aliens. Okay. <laughs> And Fine. Where, did where did the come? aliens come from? <laughs> we we have still the same question. You've not. You've just stalled. Pushed You're kicking the back. can down the road. You're not actually answering. Um. Anyway, and so then I talked about the teleological, yeah. which is really kind of the statistical argument for purpose. That when something has a purpose, um. So the cosmological, if it begins, it had a cause, mm-hmm. and the and the teleological is if it's if it's complicated and has a purpose, then it has a designer. And this is the simplifying. Go back and listen to them if you didn't. I want to talk about one of the other big ones for me, <clears throat> and this will move us into the rest of the conversation, Chris, is this question of the first life. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, you, you mentioned there, there's really not one Big Bang. There's kind of three. Three. Yeah. Well, you've got to answer where did matter come from. Okay. Because that had to come from nothing. Because you have something from nothing. Right. And then you have to have life from non-life. Okay. And then you have to have consciousness coming from that. Okay. So those are three... Huge leaps. Huge leaps. Especially everything we've ever observed, life doesn't come from non-life. Right. Um, and they used to talk it as if, like, they called it spontaneous generation and other things, but we've learned, like, no, we, it just doesn't. Right. Um. But then there's the consciousness. But yeah, that's that's a huge one of where would anything come from in the first place from nothing. And right. then, so you would say life itself. So to me, this is what struck me. And I, and I wrote something about this responding to an article that I had read that that it, it came out. I wrote this about the time that a guy had come out saying, we've, we've now done it. You know, we, we've kind of taken the first steps towards life mm-hmm. in the lab. And then I researched, I discovered, I mean, if there are... 70 or 80,000 steps. Yes, you took the first step towards this. And it was shocking how overproduced this was as a breakthrough um, in the media. And so I wrote a response, and I want to kind of go over. This is one of mine. Now, I will will acknowledge, just like you're saying with something from nothing, matter from nothing, and then life from matter, and then consciousness from life, none of those three things have been answered empirically. Um, the only answers that exist for those right now are rational or rel- revelatory, mm-hmm. maybe intuitive. But as far as the sources of knowledge, there's no empirical answers to those three, as I understand it. Yeah. There are guesses and theories, but there's no good evidence. So this is one of them. So the first life, and, and I responded because theistic views are often disrespected as somehow being irrational or medieval or... <clears throat> I don't know, something like that, barbaric. And I, I, my response was, so if I'm going to believe in a first life without a cause, no God, no designer, no nothing, here's what I'm being asked to believe. So here's, here's, so first, a non-living king, a non-living thing came into the spark of life. And life is, is still very mysterious. Um, we now have, there are animals that we can completely end all the functions in their body. All the biochemicals in their body, we can 100% come bring them to a complete stop, and then revive the animal, and it lives. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's something more to life than merely biochemical reactions. Yeah. 
And that thing is maintained in this animal even after the biochemical reactions. But we can't take one that is just dead and bring it to life. So we can start with a living one, end all of its uh, end all of its biochemicals, and then start it back up. But you can't yep. you can't just hook up electrodes to them. So and in Darwin's day, <clears throat> they so oversimplified. You know his yeah. warm little pond idea that you just need the right chemicals and then some, maybe some lightning. Right. You know what I mean, it just sounded so because we know a cell is just this basic little globule of yeah, it's just a blob plasma, and it's right. like not even close to that now. No, it's, from it's from what we know fantastically yeah. complex, even right. at the tiniest level. So <clears throat> we don't know. We don't we don't know where the first life initiated on Earth, if it was on Earth, if that was the first one, but um it's not just that we have failed to find it again in a cauldron of mud or in a in a warm pond or in a salt water off the coast of volcanic island or a dark cave. It's that we've not found it anywhere and we're not able to reproduce it even in the most controlled environment. Um and so that that's sus- that's suspicious. Now I, we may get into this today, we may not, that I'm, I'm a fan of and don't have a problem with old earth, very old earth theories. <clears throat> According to the, the, um, the best evidence I could find was that the first evidence of life is from 3.45 billion years ago. They have fossils that they claim are that old. So here's what's wild. So three, that's only a billion years in, right? By the oldest standards, mm-hmm. four and a half billion years. Um, and that, that somehow something caused something that was not alive to be alive. So something caused that. So one, I have to accept that, that life winked into existence after only a billion years of after only a billion years of Earth, mm-hmm. that it just winked into existence. And then this is what boggles my mind. It then has to have survived the next second. Now this is this. There's nothing about its environment that would support life. Like there's nothing that would be make that a a likely thing, a positive thing. Everything about about the planet was hostile to life, and yet not only did life wink into existence, but then it survived, mm-hmm. and not just survived, it thrived and multiplied. Yeah. <clears throat> so somehow that very first life had to find nutrition, and had to absorb that nutrition one, in order for it to then multiply. Now, there must have been a huge relief. There were no predators, <laughs> but there were threats galore. I mean, everything would have been a threat to this life. And it has to somehow take in nutrients. Photosynthesis is a radically complex chemical process. It, it was not photosynthesis. You yeah. do not have a first-generation life that can photosynthesize. There's nothing living for it to devour because it's the only life. So it is going to now devour, apparently somehow devour how it knew to do that. This very first organism um, knew to do that, but, but it is a, this first life had to somehow taken along a boatload of positive mutations, not only to come into existence, but then to survive. And those all had to be fairly simultaneous, right? Makes sense. Yep. And then perhaps most impressively, it didn't die. So it had to then reproduce. So when it did die, it wasn't alone when it died. Yeah. So it, it somehow reproduced itself because if it just died, we're, we're, we're back we're to lifelessness. Yeah. And we have to somehow get life to wink into existence again. And so either this is happening somehow billions of times until one of them survives. And again, we've never seen that since. Right. Um, so it's either super, super common three and a half billion years ago for life to wink into existence. Or it's incredibly uncommon, and then one did and stayed alive. So but those are those feel like the only two options that I'm I can get to, and looking at it. And it always interests me when <clears throat> when I hear um, naturalists or evolutionists almost dismiss that everything you just said. Like, well, we don't know exactly how, but we know that it happened. Right. And my point is, well, evolution is a how. Like right, it's, that's it's a right. Process. It is a how. Going back to our cake illustration last time, if if you said the cake baked itself, and I said how, and you said, well, that we don't know exactly how, but we know that it baked itself. Right, We're not going right. to worry about how. I'd go, that's the whole problem. Right. How did it bake itself? And so in everything that you just mentioned there, uh, every single one of those is a, 
how did that happen? Like how, right. and when they just say like, we don't know that, but we know, we don't know how it happened. We just know that it happened. Right. That's where you get suspicious. Like, uh, it sounds like you're not being, you're not letting the evidence speak for itself. Right. Or at least you've got to admit that that's not, if it's not repeatable right. or observable, how is that scientific? Right. Like all of those issues, but they're so, I think, and that's part of the nature of the issue of science is that they're so committed to the philosophy that even if the methodology doesn't help them, it's right. like, well, we already know this, which again, I just see as cheating. And, and I, as, a, as someone who thinks of cells, I like to think of myself as a scientist. I was raised by scientists. Mm-hmm. I've, I've loved the scientific, I mean, uh, that was my, so much my deal so long. And, and I love it, even though psychology is kind of a soft science and uh, theology shouldn't be, but it's treated as one, which I understand why. But um, yeah, I just, it seems to me, so the argument against, say, people will say, well, this is just, you're saying there's no answer, so it must be, so God, mm-hmm. the, the infamous God of the gaps. God of the gaps. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and actually what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say with these is, which, which seems like the more rational option? So let's look at our options. I'm not just saying, oh, I don't know, God. Right. I, don't, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. But at, at some point, it, the, it, is a, it should be a rational option to investigate. Yep. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be put down. And I'm a fan of scientists and and empirical study people who are involved in empirical study to not default to God. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not asking. I would not want that. Right. I want them to answer how. And and if they can come up with a process and and a, and a process can be understood because that that often, that poses no threat to me. Yeah. And an understanding of truth. I don't I don't see the saying, uh, God makes it rain and the rain cycle is is how that happens. Like, I don't see those as contradictory. I think the rain cycle makes total sense. Good, perfect, excellent. So, yeah, that's not... What you've done is you've given a how, which is great, and even a how answer, and this, I know people get frustrated, even a how answer doesn't answer a why answer. Um, and those are all great questions that I think it's totally appropriate for us to ask. And the more that we study life, for example, <clears throat> the more complicated we realize it is. Like, yes. Like, that the simple cell is not, it's like a nanofactory. Like it's able to do all these amazing things. We can't make one. And replicate itself. Right. right. And we're just blown away. So it's not that we're going, it's getting so more complex. We don't know, so it must be God. We're going, the more complex it is, the, the more you're like, how could this naturally have happened? Right. Like it just can't have produced itself because it's way more, <laughs> way more complex. Than, it makes less sense. Right. And, and again, I'm I'm not claiming that it's irrational or impossible to believe that it could come from natural processes alone. I, I I just think it's less rational. And it's certainly not appropriate to say it is irrational to right. disagree with that statement. Yeah. Um you you can be a <clears throat> Christian who trusts in scripture or whatever and uh or a theist or whatever and still believe that these things happened and they happen in, in whatever way that they end up that we can study that they happen. But there are three. It is fascinating to me that there are those three big leaps. So this this first life, in apparently in one generation, since no evolution could take place, um, you have to have multi generations to have, have evolution. And so it had to not die instantly. It had to sustain and grow, and it had to reproduce all alone, without help, without protection, in a hostile world where no life had ever existed before and had no reason to exist outside of chance. Mm-hmm. And and we have never seen it again, even though we've intentionally tried to make it. So my, my question at the end is, why is it okay for me to rationally argue <clears throat> that there was someone shepherding that process? Um, shepherding the process of, we don't have life, we have nothing and now there's something. Mm-hmm. There's something in another's life there's life in another's consciousness and i i just don't i don't understand why that's not it can't be accepted as a rational argument yeah um and can be evaluated sometimes scientifically but it certainly can be evaluated rationally um and so anyway i don't i don't I've, that's that's my that's one of mine i it is the 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 spark of life and the way the spark of life exists speaks to me of a designer and a creator. Mm-hmm. And I don't, when I'm talking to someone about this issue, <clears throat> I don't make time 
the issue, like how old the universe is right, or the right. Earth, because time isn't the big issue. It's mechanism that we just right. We it, it's not a matter of if just give us more time, it'll happen. Right. We've just never observed it, and that isn't the biggest thing you learn in your sixth grade science project is with the you've got to have a hypothesis and test it, and it's got to be repeatable. Right. And so it's like no one was there to see this and we've just never seen it and what we find and I mean I'm a, a, I'm a big fan of and again this will get into the age of the earth stuff but looking at like the Cambrian explosion mm-hmm. like it's called an explosion by scientists for a reason right that before that 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 era um, you have basically nothing and then you have this explosion of all the basic right. body forms showing up in the fossil record with no clear ancestors and no Leading up to it, it's that's why they call it an explosion. Um, <clears throat> which again, I that I don't. That, that's the example of the. It's a biological big bang. You've right. Just got, right. That's what they also call it. it. It just shows up there. So when now, let me ask you. So I'll ask. When do you think that happened? Like what you on a timetable perspective? Mm-hmm. I've never asked you how old. How old do you estimate the yeah, Earth to be? F- from everything that I've read, <clears throat> for me personally. Yeah. So I grew up. I'll just tell you this. I grew up in San Diego, in the same city as the Institute for Creation Research mm-hmm. at David Jeremiah's church yeah. where uh, Tim LaHaye was part of, like all of this, uh, John Morris. I took a advanced studies in creationism in after college um, from Dr. John Morris. So growing up, my default has always just been I'm a young earther right? because um, of all those things. But <clears throat> as I've studied everything... I just think thousands, not millions. I'm not like it's the earth is 6,000 years old. Like I'm not, right. I just don't think you can. It's not just following the genealogies right. from the Bible. No, no, okay. not at all. Not at all. But my view is there's so many examples in the fossil record of things not looking so clearly right. like this was this age and this was this age. And, then, and what so many times, if you go back to the source, original source of articles of uh, things you read, <clears throat> before they put their own spin on them. Like the Gobi Desert is a really fascinating example right. of all of these dinosaurs that you hear about that um, were living in this area. But you also, when you go back to the original source, you find out that what was also there was mammals and lizards. Like they found a whole bunch of other things all mixed together. Right. And um, they don't like to admit that because it doesn't follow the right. order that things are supposed to have lived. And then, this is my favorite part that I love, um, in this one article I was reading about, again, just the Gobi Desert, Okay. Um, people were like, well, what were the dinosaurs doing in the desert? And their answer was, well, this was apparently a very lush place before, and um, their explanation was, well, it looked like all of these dinosaurs were buried by avalanches of rain-soaked sand, Okay. which I go, like a flood? Yeah, yeah. That's my interpretation. And I used to take my students to the Los Angeles Museum of Natural History, and I loved, so cool. I love dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, Walking around all the exhibits that they have there. But my my thing was, I said, as you go out here, I just want you to read each one of these descriptions of how this fossil was found or where it was found. And they're from all over the earth, but so many of them, the answers were all. And these guys were found buried quickly, or this mother was protecting her eggs when she was buried, and these two right. dinosaurs were fighting when they were buried. And it sounds like all over the world, these dinosaurs were buried suddenly. So right. that's part of my my view is that the fossil record doesn't help macroevolution. Um, <clears throat> and I've got a whole bunch of quotes by paleontologists who say we, we, we really can't use it as our as evidence for you know, the gradual evolution of something. Right. So I am a huge fan of differentiating between micro and macro evolution because I've read uh, The Origin of Species. Right. And yep. Charles Darwin was meticulous in his observations. Really, really great uh, yes. stuff. Oh, yeah. But everything he <clears throat> cites is micro evolution. And so I'm just real big on distinguishing between, obviously things change and grow and stuff, but um, I'm I'm not convinced that things happen from things going from one species to a higher, more complex species just through, you know, mutation and natural selection. I'm a huge fan of microevolution, of, for sure, right. of adaptation and variation and um, things getting, getting better or changing over time, but it's still that thing. In other words, 
if people say, like, well, humans are taller today than they used to be, I go, yeah, great. Right, right. We're still humans. Or, again, Darwin's um, observations of the the beak of the finch on the Galapagos Islands. Right, right. One of his big deals. Yeah. Yeah. And it was re restudied and republished um, within the last couple of decades. I just go, it's awesome. It's really fascinating. Right. But it's still a finch. And they talk about um, hybrid sharks, like this black tip shark versus now it's made of this other. And it's like, but it's still a black tip shark. Like it's still. Right. And the, the peppered moth, all of those things I go, but it's still a moth. Like it, it's right. the population ratio changes, all those things. I just go, okay, but at the end of the day, that is still all um, horizontal changes, not vertical right. going further or higher up the thing. So <clears throat> that's more my, th- there's two ways you could read the fossil record. It's the order in which things lived or in the order in which things were buried is kind of my example. Right. That if a, if a massive flood were to happen today and then you come back and look at it, Right. The things buried first would be lower level ocean type things. And then you'd work your way up to things that um, are kind of around the edges of the water or the lakes and they'd be buried. And then you'd find things that are more mobile buried and then humans because we can whatever. And so I just go, it's part of it's your interpretation of is this Mm. the order in which they lived or they were buried. And that clean cut idea that everything is always in this order is actually not true. There's so many times it's upside down. <clears throat> or environmentally mixed, or like I said, um, I love all the examples of, even here in America, of fossils that people don't know we found, like kangaroos right. and like other things that you don't you don't think that they're here, um, all over the place, prehistoric, that we would call prehistoric um, animals. So I'm just more, uh, now I do have, I will tell you, I, I think uh, the Hebrew language of the word day, right. I think is is compelling just from a linguistic standpoint, if I'm just going to only say, right, what do you think? Now the word, because the word day can mean more than a 24-hour period, right? But outside of Genesis one, every time a numerical value is assigned to a day, it always means a literal day. Uh, anytime um, it, there's morning and evening, it always means a literal day, right? So both of those are there in Genesis one, <clears throat> and then. You've got um, some pretty clear stuff about uh, seasons and stuff like that in Genesis 1 that doesn't make it sound like it was this vague uh, thing. And then just in Exodus 20 when God talks about, I want you to work for six days and rest the seventh for right. God, God did that. six right. days. It's the same word for day that he uses. So right. Yom. Anyways, I don't <clears throat> think it's that's the end of the world. It could mean something different, but I'm just more compelled to think like, at what point do you start taking it literally then? Was it a literal garden, a literal serpent, a literal flood, a literal Abraham, a little, you know what I mean? Like, right. <clears throat> so those are some of my reasons. But um, again, I'm not scared, but I think there's problems like with the starlight and time. Right. I was going to ask about that. Oh, yeah, how do you deal with, how do you deal with things outside the planet? Well, I think of my, my, from what I've studied and read, the, the fact that we've even observed the universe expanding. Um, right. In other words, you mentioned this the other day, but um, the the analogy is if you drew a bunch of dots on a balloon right. and then blew it up, as it expanded, the dots wouldn't would all be moving away from each other. Right, and that's what we start to see the universe doing. Like the universe is expanding, and it's, right. everything's moving away from it. So if you reverse that, um, you, yeah, people come to argue a like, spot. yeah, things aren't light doesn't have as far to travel, or t- the Bible talks about God stretching out the heavens. I don't know. So right. I just think I think that is. Um, I'm just I'm not scared to go like but I could be totally wrong. <laughs> right, right. This is my only thing is <clears throat> if macroevolution if if I don't see compelling evidence for macroevolution. Right. Why do I want to try to wed it with the Bible? Right. Why do we why do I want to wed wed the Bible with a theory that's false? Right. Especially if I feel like the Bible's going to get watered down because I think <clears throat> that's anytime people do that, right. which one of the two is going to get watered down? Right, it's going to be the Bible, and so that's part of my going. So many times, we've seen this with archaeology. People say like, "Well, we we know the Bible's wrong because of this," right? And then it just it's a matter of time. We actually, hey, just as as a sneak preview, we will actually go over. I've already made the list of my favorite like ten oh, yeah. times that yeah. that we've been wrong about stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's dude. Thanks for thank <laughs> you for sharing that, and I I think that's a common, um. 
the you know one of the things that I think makes the the young Earth argument valuable, um, in addition to it may be true, it may be the right answer, it may be the best way of understanding Scripture, is is that it it has maintained a sense of of skepticism in an area where the scientific kind of zeitgeist, the way of thinking, is is no longer thinking scientifically. Mm-hmm. It's no, no, this is the right answer, and just accept it. Right. And okay, but what about all these exceptions? Well, don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. This is the right answer. Yeah. And anytime I see that in religion or science, I'm I'm skeptical. Yeah. And so, um, I I agree with you that I I love the idea of, and that's <clears throat> that's the version of kind of the the more humble attitude towards whether it's young Earth or old Earth ways of engaging with Scripture that I think is important is. We we are I think where we would absolutely agree is that is that it, it defaults to God doing it, mm-hmm. and that's what I, I've said before. I think I think there's two things that that Christian doctrine has to hold about creation: age isn't one, process isn't one, uh, you know, timeline isn't one, evolution isn't one, teleology is one, purpose. Mm-hmm. God did it, and He did it on purpose. It was not an accident. It was it was a shepherded process by him. And but that could leave you with deism or theism. And so the second one is providence. Mm. And he and he is still involved. And I think if you're it, I'm willing to I tell people I'm I'm willing to have a discussion with anybody who starts with those two. Mm-hmm. And and who doesn't then take that and extrapolate it to something that's salvific, meaning um you know you can't you can't be a Christian unless you believe in a young earth or an old earth perspective, then you can't be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Because that would be heresy. Now you're putting a belief in 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 the place of G- the work of Jesus Christ, and that you can't do that. <clears throat> um, and I've seen people do both of those uh, as well. Can I read a verse related to that? Please do. <clears throat> would you ever say no? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, no verses. <laughs> I like this related to what you said there. Um, Isaiah forty five eighteen. <laughs> uh, says, "For thus says the Lord, He uh, who created the heavens, He is God." Who formed the earth and made it? He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I might have read that before, but the 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 phrase "He formed it to be inhabited" right is such a great reminder of the teleology of what we're talking about. That Absolutely. The 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 size of the earth, the distance from the sun, the tilt, the amount of water, the atmosphere, like all of those things, which that's called the anthropic principle, which I right. think is is a great example. Yes. Um. But I, I feel like that's what Isaiah 45 is explaining there, that clearly he made it to be inhabited. Like he made the earth for us right. in mind. It wasn't a random chance thing. And um, when you say it was shepherded. Um, right. Yeah. And I will, I will, at some other time, I'll discuss kind of the, the reasons I lean towards an old earth, even biblically. But, <clears throat> but man, that's a great, a great way of looking at it. An important understanding the diversity of life, mm-hmm. still we're saying the source of life, which is still a mystery to us, is design, is intelligence. And 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 so one of the complaints this gentleman had with Dr. Craig's Kalam cosmological argument is that it doesn't mention God. And so he was like, this doesn't prove God at all. It doesn't even mention God. And of course, Craig and others have said, of course it doesn't mention God. Like that's like it's I, I'm not I'm only proving the existence of uh, the to show that there needs to be a and a mind. Yeah. <clears throat> and why does it have to be a mind? And why does it have to be uh, a cause or powerful? powerful? Yeah. Why does it need to be timeless? Why does it need to be mm-hmm. spaceless? And and uh, anyway, and so all of those are argued and well defended, and and we talked about some of them last time as well. Um, recognizing that there is this, there is this causation. There is something that makes this stuff happen, and at this stage, is still. The best explanation. Yeah. Um, there is there is every because we don't have empirical evidence um, to back a solid theory of these. That what we're left with is theories, and theories are rationally based, along with empirical evidence, but they're rationally based. And it's I don't think there's any reason to think that rationally speaking, at this stage at least, our best explanation for something coming from nothing, as we talked about, is is a is a creator. Yeah. 
Um, and we can talk about the traits of the creator. And we'll get there, by the way. We're, we're, we're not going to end with this whole conversation. You know, the podcast isn't over now forever because <laughs> we've now shown that it's rational to believe there is a creator designer. But you know what's interesting? <clears throat> Richard Dawkins does this really interesting little uh, leap where it sounds like he's making an argument against God. In um, I saw this interview where he was like, "Give me the some necessarily give me the top five reasons not to believe in God," and one of his reasons was, "But which God?" Right. As if that proved that there wasn't a designer. Right. Like because, um, it, it's almost like you find some archaeological. I don't know, like a statue that was clearly, you know, carved. Right. But we have no idea who did it. Right. You wouldn't go, no, until you can tell me who it was, I'm not going to believe that it was designed or carved. Right, right. Like, that is so irrational. Right. But that's what he tries to do. He's he's like, this is another reason not to believe in God. Which God could it be? Because there's so many... It's like, that doesn't disprove that there's a designer. Right. That That's a whole other issue of the nature of it or the, person, the personhood or the right. identity of the designer. But it's like... That just seems so, um, I don't know. It, it's just one of those, like, you're supposed to be this brilliant guy. Right. It's just because you have a British accent. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's actually, I don't remember the name. What is what is the name for it when people in, in the scientific community, or in any community, get out of their lane? When they start talking about something that's uh, not their area of expertise. There's yeah. a name for that. And <clears throat> it's, I, I, again, growing up with scientists, it was always a sign to me of someone who doesn't take science seriously when when they are willing to aggressively assert themselves in an area that isn't one of their areas of expertise, mm-hmm. and and that's that was that has been one of the complaints against Dawkins all along is when you're talking about biology and even evolutionary biology, go ahead speak yeah. that's your training. Yeah. When you jump over into these other areas, so often he has no idea what he's talking. Right. He he says stuff and it turns out like oh oops that was completely inaccurate right. and and he had no idea he was talking and that's always dangerous and and I guess I guess we're risking that a little bit talking here. Um, about scientific stuff, but I, I don't feel like we're not taking it at a level of like we're we are God's gift. It, this is this is what right. to science. It this is what we're reading and what we're studying from the scientists. Yeah. Um, By the way, all sides I, of the conversation. I did watch uh, the first episode of the Star Trek <clears throat> cartoon with Spock and the logical. Fallacy oh yes, thing. yes, yes. And it's it's awesome. It's so funny. <laughs> but um, the very first one was ad populum. Yeah. Argument, the appeal to the masses. And so many times that's what I feel like I hear in this. Well, everybody knows. Right. Uh, only, you know, only only religious people would doubt this. And it's like, right. that doesn't argue your point. All you're doing is appealing to right. everybody knows. And that's not an argument. No. Um, it's a fallacy. Yeah, it's a fallacy. But I, I think that, that it what you said is a really good example of if we're being totally honest, which is always going to be hard, right? and I'm just looking at all the evidence, the question is which one of these explanations um, makes the most sense right. where you don't have to make up some kind of exception to the rule that you say you follow. Right. Um, and it just seems pretty clear. Like when you find evidence of a design, there's a designer. When there's a right. code, there's a coder. If there was a beginning, it couldn't have been itself. Like there's so many things that seem to be pretty self-evident. And I read from Romans 1 last week, <clears throat> and the phrase that keeps coming up all through there is that they knew there's a God, although they know there's a God, even though they knew this was wrong, even though they knew. So it's not an issue of knowledge. Um, it's an issue of the heart. That's what it keeps going back to. They're, they're, they're darkened in their understanding, but um, due to the hardness of their hearts, the Bible talks about. And yeah, so we're back to that phrase. <clears throat> the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. I am I am probably not going to find it, sadly. Um, you know, let's talk just for one moment on the conversation about consciousness. Okay. <clears throat> and I'm I'm not going to find it. I will do my best to try to find it. Way back uh, on a Science Friday podcast, um, which I used to listen to faithfully, um, and and then during the Trump era. They could only they could only talk about Trump, and so it became less about science. It became strictly politics, okay. and I got I got tired. Like I want a good science, cutting edge science podcast, and I, I keep going to find them, and they turn out to be political podcasts, mm. not science podcasts, and yeah. um, <clears throat> which is frustrating to me because I love cutting edge science stuff and being aware of what's going on. It's becoming more and more difficult to find that. Anyway, and they had a guy on who had recently recently died. Um, but they had interviewed him, and they played it again, and I, I will I will see if I can find it. But in it, 
he's, you know, he's an older man and he's retired and he's, he's talking about, um, the human brain and he's considered one of the world's experts on the human brain. And in the conversation, uh, um, the guy who, the host of the, of the, um, science Friday, uh, podcast, at least at the time, um, he says, uh, he's wrapping up the conversation he says, okay, so so now here you are. At the, you know, you've you've finished your kind of your career. You're you're doing some research, but not much more. And you know, you know, the the guy had already referenced like the last stage of my life, and, and so you know, the guy felt comfortable saying that. And so he said, okay, so what's the, you know, that here at the end of your life, what do you what are you thinking? You know, you would like to see. And the guy had already answered a question when they'd asked about mental illness <clears throat> and connecting it to questions of things like faith and religion and stuff like that. Mm. And the guy had said, well, you know, it makes sense. Now we know there's nothing but a brain. Like we, we know there's nothing but a brain now. And so, you know, it makes sense that back then when they thought there was soul and spirit and all these things that they would conflate mental illness with spiritual things and, and whatever. And I think he thinks he was being generous with his language. Mm-hmm. And, and they would conflate that and, oh, it's demon possession or it's whatever. But now, now that we know there's nothing but the brain, there is no soul, there's no spirit, there's no psyche, there's no whatever, um, now that we know that, we have to come at those questions very, very differently. And that was kind of part of the conversation. At the very end of the podcast, so um, Ira Flato, who's the host, Ira says, so what would you like to see in the future? And the guy says, uh, again, I don't have his name, the guy says, um, we've got to study consciousness because we do not understand consciousness at all. Uh-huh. We, we, we know almost nothing about it. And why is there such a thing as consciousness? What is it, where does it come from? What is its source? How do we understand it? And we've got to study this to understand it. And he said, the study, the psychological study of the future is consciousness. And I'm thinking, you know for sure there's nothing but the brain, and yet the strongest evidence against there being nothing but a brain, you have no answer or explanation for. Yeah. And yet you still settled on there's nothing. Well, since we know there's nothing but the brain now, yeah. The thing that indicates there's something more than the brain, the only thing that indicates there's something more than the brain, that we don't know anything about. And I just thought, how 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 frozen yeah. that thinking is versus saying, and, and I don't, and, and I would say, I don't know, is consciousness an expression of the brain? It, uh, I'd be fascinated to know that. I don't know that it's not an expression of the brain. Um, it would not damage my theology about us being a body and a and a spirit. I mean, yeah. like. And yet, it was just amazing to me to hear somebody who had, here at the end of their career, had had closed their mind 100% mm-hmm. to the thought. Which, again, is even almost weirdly self-refuting. Like, how did he close his mind if there is no such thing as a mind to a, to a thought? Like, well, if that's what your brain is saying, that's what you have to believe. There's a fatalism that we can get. Actually, we'll talk about that in the next uh, podcast about intuition. Yeah. That reminds me of, I think I was in fifth grade on our bus trips we used to do once a week in our public school. <clears throat> the bus driver up front had that sign that said, rule number one, the bus driver's always right. Yes. Rule number two, if he's wrong, see rule number see one. See rule number one. And you're like, wait a second, that's cheating. Like, what if, but that's a good example of what if all the evidence is saying it's more than you're just, what did you say at a biological? Yeah, meat sack. <laughs> meat sack. Um, what if all the evidence is saying that, and then they go, well, no, but we already know. See rule number one. We already yeah, know. right. You'd go, that's cheating. Like, you're not, you're not able to follow the evidence wherever it leads then. Right. Because if it's going against rule number one, then you have to throw it out, rather than go, it could be something else. But since you're digging your heels in saying it has to be this way, which isn't scientific. Like you're not open to all the options of it could be something else. Isn't that tough? Okay, I know I was trying to wrap up there, but that struck me. One with Bart Ehrman, the, who's another of the famous atheists, a uh-huh. historian and a textual now analyst. And I remember watching him in a pod in a, in a debate, actually saying, as a historian, by definition, we cannot know what happened. We can only know what's most likely to have happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't, I already don't agree with that, but okay, go. And in the in the argument, he says. And by definition, miracles are the least likely thing to happen. Because even Christians would agree with me that miracles are not common. They are uncommon by definition. So a historian should never accept the account of a miracle because by definition, it's the least likely thing to have happened. And, And I thought, oh my gosh, but 
But if they happen, like if you were to say in the audience, how many of you experienced something you would call a miracle? And I don't know, 20, 20 to 80% of the, I have no idea what the number would be, but I bet a lot of people would raise their hand <clears throat> and realize, going, you realize this man cannot tell your history because he has already decided yeah. before he even engages that miracles are not something that can be part of the historical record. Right. And by the way, then he's going to say, they're really uncommon. How do I know? Because they're never in the historical record. And and it's exactly like you said. It's the go see rule number one. Yeah. Well, it's circular reasoning. <clears throat> In other words, why I know miracles didn't happen because miracles don't happen. Right. So you're assuming what you're trying to prove or disprove. Like it doesn't. You're already deciding something without looking at the yep. evidence. And if miracles happen all the time, they wouldn't be miracles. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah, it'd be everyday right. occurrences. So by definition, what makes it miraculous is it goes against all right. of our everyday experience. But but as a historian, he can yeah. only, he doesn't try to figure out what happened. He tries to figure out what's most likely to have happened, yeah. which again, as I said, I actually disagreed with that. I was like, no, I think a historian's job is to find out what actually happened. Yeah, There's a degree of certainty or uncertainty in every event. But, but to say, well, we'll take the miracle out of it and we'll, anytime there's a miracle, we can take that out because we know it's not likely because miracles by definition aren't likely. Right. Like that's, that's. But what if the evidence, the best evidence is for a miracle? Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. The evidence is what matters. The statistical probability is what matters. And well, that means... You just can, heartbroken. Yeah. Well, you, that means you can't ever accept anything happening for the very first time. Abs uh, that's, yep. That's a you just critique go, someone gave. The, 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 <clears throat> statistically, the, here's an example. A few uh, last month, no, November, when Auburn, Alabama played <laughs> in the Iron Bowl, <laughs> yes. they went into overtime yep. for the first time in history. And I was like, how have they never gone into overtime before in the yep. Iron Bowl versus each other? But according to Bart Ehrman, that would be like, no, statistically, because that that's can't never happened. happened, that couldn't have happened. Wow, that's a great point. But yeah, that's interesting. Ouch. Okay. All right, well, we better wrap up this one. That was fun. And, uh, and that's good. And then we will um, we'll come back next week with, with at least one more of just why I believe. Yeah. And then, um, uh, and this is, again, still at the God level. We'll discuss why we believe what we believe about God in the future sometime. All right. Thanks a bunch. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.